As we head into the final days of 2020, even though it's too late to do some serious tax planning, I still wanted to talk to a tax expert about PPP, what to expect with a new administration, and just a simple tax 101 type discussion for financial pros who are intimidated by tax. My guest is friend and tax expert Jeff Shore. I met Jeff about 10 years ago through a common client we both love to brag about. Jeff is so quotable, easy to understand, and he's a guy I consider a business person first who just knows a ton about taxes. Jeff is a tax partner at Springfield, Missouri-based Bush Ramlow and Shore PC, and we'll hear from him here on CFO Bookshelf. So, Jeff, the the top the top topics in business this year, uh, COVID, 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 right? And then Never after that, <laughs> and, then, and then after that, PPP. Right. So most people already understand the forgiveness aspect of PPP. I'm just curious, nosy, of your client base, would you say maybe 40, 50, 60% have gotten approved so far? We've actually slow walked the process of forgiveness. Um, I think for us, we're probably in the 10 or 15 to 20% range. And we purposely decided to delay. The you know SBA kept pushing out more guidance and more guidance and more guidance and more guidance and we're like let's just wait. There's not a huge hurry. Um, so you know we've actually got um, projects queued up for us to start doing that. But we wanted to wait a little bit, you know, because there were so many variables that were going to happen, and we wanted to make sure we got it right. So we're we'll start seeing those trickling out. We'd like to get a big tranche of those done before the end of the year or by mid. January, just to get it knocked out. So we're seeing some of that trend, but not quite yet. Well, moving to another topic, we have a new new administration coming in. So it may be too late. I mean, when you think of tax planning, I usually start tax planning with my clients. And by the way, I'm not you. I'm from a CFO perspective, but but I get these CEOs to start thinking about tax planning in June and I like to think in terms of three meetings, June, maybe September, mm-hmm. and then between Thanksgiving and December 15th, just any any loose ends. So even though what I'm about to ask you maybe should have been asked two months ago, three months ago, let's just look at what we need to be cognizant about with the new administration coming in. And you've already given me a, a few ideas, some, some notes, but rate changes. Mm-hmm. Are we going to be expecting right. rate changes going into the new year? So right now the rates are set and they're, they're in set really till 2025. And then they were going to revert back at that point to the rates we've had in 2017 or prior. Um, I talked to a few uh, people in the kind of investment space and their thought leaders are telling them that we probably won't see a change in 2021. Um, COVID's still not done. You know, there are portions of the economy that are still not quite up to speed. And so they don't want to shock the. They're thinking there's not why shock the system with with rate increases right now. Um, you know I'm kind of a political junkie, and and if if the the election stands, Biden's inaugurated, and we and the Republicans lose Georgia, um, I feel like the Democrat Party is going to go crazy. Um, they've they've been they're to their credit. Their philosophy 
is a long game philosophy where Republicans are reactionary. <clears throat> and so this has been in the making for some time. So there's a lot of things that probably will come out of that process. We've seen retroactive check changes. So I'm, I'm not predicting one way or the other. My gut tells me that there's a, probably a 75% chance that we'll see an increase in rates. Um, just because they got so many things they want to spend money on and they want to, you know, they want to bring, they want to, you know, the higher tax people are going to have money to spend. So let's take it from them. Right. Um, is kind of the message that I hear. So it's very likely, you know, when I talk to clients and, and the role that I play, you know, in almost every case that income tax will have to be paid on the income that you've earned. Um, the games that we play are almost really just timing games. And so if I deducted today or tomorrow, that's going to set what rate I pay. So the levers that I can pull when I'm helping do tax planning and or tax return is when and what rate. Those are the levers that I can pull. And, and some levers move great and some levers don't move at all. And because of that, you know, you have to kind of have a long-term philosophy for tax planning. Um, you know, I would say in a perfect world, this the, the, the CFO role should be tax planning daily in some regards. Good because, point. Agree. You know, because really that happens every time they make a financial decision, there's an underlying tenant to taxation. Now, you know, when I talk to my clients and when I'm trying to get them to understand things, tax the tax motivation should never override the economic motivation of anything that you do. You know, the all I can tell you is that the tax will be saved and that should that can be factored into the decision, but it shouldn't be the primary primary reason that decision is made. So always know that. Always understand that. What about and so getting them Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Jeff. Oh, you're I'm good. You're good. What what about reg changes? Uh we're talking about rate changes. What about some regs? You see anything that could be uh, coming down the pike quickly? Well, I mean, that was one of the things that you know, Trump liked to say that for every regulation, for every three, he was, for every one he was going to add three, we're going to be removed. And so, you know, the, so the powers that be that are, that are, that are worried about the environment, worried about labor, you know, we'll probably see some dramatic changes there. Um, They may not have a tax implication, but they definitely will have an implication other ways within certain organizations. You know, if they're in manufacturing, energy is going to be an impact. If they're in um, you know, waste removal, there's going to be some impact there. You know, all of those things are going to play into it. Healthcare is going to be another big bailiwick. You know, they've been marching towards a single payer system. So we're getting closer to that already, even with COVID. That's been a good reason for them to interject themselves even deeper into the healthcare system. So I think there's going to be some movement in that space for sure. What changes are going to be happening, happening with depreciation? Um, so right now we're in 100%. Let me back up. So when I talk to clients about depreciation, I kind of look, I kind of give it like setting up dominoes. So right now we have bonus, which is fairly new in my world. You know, I've been dealing with makers since 86, but bonus was probably in the last 10 or 15 years. And, you know, so bonus starts off hundred percent for most everybody. It's going to taper off in the future. In the next couple of years, bonus will go to 80%. Um, so when I look at my client's return, you know, I try to get them to understand under bonus, it's hundred percent. So, long as it's in those asset classes, they're all going to happen right now. I think that's going to get changed. 
probably one of the first things that they'll change is that because that's a that doesn't have a long term impact on a budget forecast, but it has a short term hit to revenue positive. If, if I in, can, because if, of, if, if I can interject, you may have a fair amount of businesses this year that you may not want that bonus to kick in because they already have correct. some losses or their earnings may be suppressed. So that may be a correct. case where you'd rather have that depreciation on the back end, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, it's funny here in my office, my staff can get, I'll, I'll use the word, they get frustrated with me because um, most of my clients are going to be flow through entities. And so you know, and, and there's a, there's a small sample that are going to be in the lower income brackets. And because of that, I don't want that business return finished until that person returns at least 75% complete. And the reason being is that, you know, I've had too many cases where we do the hundred percent bonus and guess what? We completely wiped out all their taxable income. Well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, at the ten percent rates, at the twelve percent rates, right? I want those filled up, and I want taxes at that level as much as I can control that. Because, especially in the world of timing, you know, I would sure hate to take a hundred percent bonus at twelve percent, only for it to reverse next year at twenty two, twenty four, or even thirty seven percent. So, you know, all of a sudden I look like a hero for this year because you didn't pay any tax, but bam, you get hit upside the head pretty hard next year with a significant rate change. And then, and the income tax number didn't change when you averaged two years together. So, you know, we elect out a bonus, probably one out of a hundred returns here because of that reason alone. And so as you're cascading through the depreciation process, then, then if you elect out a bonus, it reverts back to normal depreciation. So the, you know, the 20% declining balance for five, you know, for five, seven year, 15 year assets, then we can layer into it the section 179. So we could get close to 100% by electing out a bonus, moving normal depreciation, then taking that Section 179, let's say, up to 80%. And then in that case, I can manufacture, at least for the current year, those lower rates where you pay tax. And I've got a fair amount of clients that buy sizable assets with debt. And, you know, again, with these S-Corp flow-through entities, I have basis issues I have to deal with, you know, and <clears> – <throat> the IRS is getting more and more serious about basis when it comes to the, uh, these S-Corp returns. Um, you know, a lot of my peers didn't really worry about it, didn't really even understand it. Um, and we're seeing now that IRS is mandating that basis schedule be included um, because that's a whole new layer of revenue, you know, that they could really hit on. If it's not done correctly, then there's a significant error. Uh, I remember years ago, I met with a business owner and she had posted millions and millions of dollars with losses and hadn't paid any tax. And in my interview with her, I didn't get the client, by the way, but in my interview with her, I discovered it was all funded by debt. And I'm like, you realize those losses weren't utilized because they'd even, mm-hmm. the other preparer had even carried them back and got freed up taxes from years prior to her starting this business. And she was very happy with me, but it was like, that was a, that, you know, that was borderline fraud on her part. You know, and definitely the preparer, you probably should have been dis- disbarred in essence because that's a, that's a huge miss. I mean, m- huge at that level. And so, you know, that's one of the things you got to pay attention to. But when I talk to clients about buying equipment on debt, you know, at the end of the day, 
you'll when you start paying the debt back in years two through five or seven, however long you've strung out that payment plan, that's income in those later years and negative cash flow to pay for the debt right. with no deduction. So you may have got a shot in the arm this year by saving a ton of taxes on this equipment that was financed. But guess what? Years two through seven, it's going to flip. And so you better be prepared for that. Exactly. We have a lot of topics to hit. Just a couple of more. Do you, are there any changes uh, with capital gains coming up in 2021? No, those have been the the beauty of that is even when they reset it back, we'll see a little bit of change, but not a lot of change. The okay. rates, I think, were tweaked a little bit. But capital gains have kind of been that third rail that they haven't touched in a while. Um, you know, because it it's a different to me, it's a different venue than income tax. You know, income tax is based on production, capital gains is based on investment. And so most of the Congress critters have been reluctant to really tweak that very much. I read an article in the Wall Street Journal. I don't have it in front of me, uh, but it's about like-kind exchanges. And there is an opinion Mm -hmm. that there may be some restrictions or some of it could be pulled back. Uh, Is like-kind exchanges been on your radar the past few weeks, months? We, we haven't seen – there was a recent um, article that talked about some tweaks in like on exchange, but we haven't seen a lot of dramatic okay. change. We saw a big hit to that in the 2017 um, TGCA Act, you know, when we got QBID and those and bonus and that kind of stuff. It used to be like kind was anything. You know, if I could – if I bought a truck, sold a truck, boom. You know, it would just be the, the net difference. Um, airplane for airplane, for example. Well, they said, oh, no, it's only real estate. So they really narrowed that focus down quite a bit. To me, with a hundred percent bonus, eh, not a huge deal, you know, because you know you sell. A, I'll sell a plane, for example. I'll have recapture on the sale of the plane, but heck, I replaced it with a more expensive plane. So hundred percent right. bonus, Good bam. Point. You know, the net difference really is the same result. So not a big deal. Fast forward to when bonus goes away, then it becomes a big deal. So we'll we'll see that really start to hit home in the future. Let's switch gears a little bit. And we got a lot of content here. We may have to cut it down, pair it back a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, I talked no, too no, much. This is good stuff. <laughs> this is this is going fast, unfortunately. But I want to hit some of the the basics. So I mean there we you're gonna have some CFOs that are listening that they're new and, and I'm a big believer in being in communication with uh with our tax partners. So mm-hmm. I just want to do kind of a, a taxation 101 from a CFO's perspective, a controller's, even an accounting manager's. But right. uh, I, have, I have a term that I use in my practice, ABT. And, and that's why the partners I do get to work with, I think they kind of like me. Uh, but we use the term ABT, always be talking. And so you even say, you even said to me in your notes, Mark, we always need to be in communication, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the, the, and I get reminded of that all the time. One of my, I have a large architecture firm and, you know, a couple of things you had asked some ideas and I threw out a couple, one of those for them in particular was kind of, I thought was a novel idea. Um, They, you know, as an architecture firm, they traveled to a lot of their different job sites. And so they're, they're handing out money to their staff for auto mileage traveling to and from the job site. And I said, why don't you look at an electric car? And they're like, oh, that's actually a very good idea. So um, they took delivery of one of those BMW, um, the three series, or I can't remember what the, it's, 
it's not a three series like a BMW you think it's in, in BMW there's two electric versions there's a tiny little box and then the sexy sporty coupe they didn't get the sexy sporty coupe they got the tiny little box but you know, it's a thirty thousand dollar car, but seventy five hundred dollars of that thirty thousand is going to be a reduction in their tax, dollar for dollar, as a credit. So, in my world, credit's always better than a deduction. And so, then the remaining twenty seven thousand dollars, you know, they're going to get half of that under depreciation this year as a deduction. Well, it does a couple of things. One, um, they were able to letter it up, and so you know, they now they have a bit of notoriety because they have a cool little electric BMW cruise around town with their logo on it. Um, they're in a high visibility building here in town. So people are starting to know who they are and recognize them. But more importantly, their employees are now driving a company car um, that they needed to anyway. So it became a cost reduction for the firm. Um, they got a tax credit for part of it. And they also saved some money by using their own vehicle instead of paying employees miles. And from a liability perspective, they have less risk with a, their own vehicle than I think that with an employee's car in some regards. You heard me say this earlier, three meetings at a minimum, June 30th. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there, now there may be a uh, maybe a, a meeting that's done personally that you guys have, you know, April 15th, um, you know, sometime once the returns are done. So mm-hmm. I'm not talking about that one, but in terms of planning, June 30th, uh, September 30th, and sometime between Thanksgiving and maybe December 15th, that's at a, that's the bare minimum. Send mm-hmm. the financials, yep. send the financials every month. And you, I don't know if you've seen any of my financial packages. They are thick and elaborate. There's mm-hmm. even narrative. Yep. Uh, they get all those. Oh, by the way, right. anytime there's a transaction, a major transaction, before mm-hmm. that transaction, we're going to call Kevin. Yep. We're going to call, yep. we're going to call Jeff. Yep. We're going to call Bill. And then finally, mm-hmm. finally, you're going to love this by January 20th. I would say almost every single of my clients, almost, we get the tax trial balance to our CPA by January 20th. Oh, by the way, here are all the work papers. Here's everything mm-hmm. you need. So we've already done all the work. So that's what I do. Would I, would I make a good uh, CFO of your clients? Yes. That's in a perfect world, that would be ideal because. And it's not I hard. Like, what I ju- that is no. not hard either. Yeah, it, it, you know, the, to me, the the you know, those are very good milestones because June you have a kind of a decent idea where you're at, so um, you can make changes. You know, um, mid year really is the best time. December really is too late in my regard. Um, you know, I always like to tell the story. One of my fraternity brothers was a salesman for Caterpillar, and we always had a fraternity Christmas party where I'd run into him, and he's like, "Sure, what in the heck's wrong with you CPAs telling them to go buy equipment in December?" I don't have inventory in December, (laughs) you know, so it really struck home with me that, yeah, you really shouldn't be tax planning in December, really in December. Okay. What things did we not get done that we need to do versus, Oh, we got to do all these things now. And so absolutely that, you know, those, those milestones are ideal in our world because then we can make some differences. We can be prepared. Um, You know, if it's, if there's a lot of assets adding and subtracting, we can be, we can keeping those up as well as you can throughout the year um, because then that helps save us time. One of the things that we struggle with in our industry is that we're so compressed. Um, I tell my, my audit partner, he's the hare in the rabbit in the hare story, or I'm sorry, he's the tortoise or the hare. So, you know, we, we tax gods, you know, we run like crazy and then we take a break. 
we run like crazy, we take a break. We run like crazy, we take a break. You know, and so what I communicate to my class, my staff, and my clients is that we need to pull that time out of those busy times and, and put them into when we have availability to, to actually make a difference. So to your point, if we're, you know, if we're updating assets as we go, you know, those are, that's going to be a significant change. Because, you know, one mm-hmm. of the things you and I talked about is the numbers you send to me really are on a book method in most cases. And so we've got to convert, you know, so we, exactly. you know, it looks like you're breaking even to make, wait a minute, you bought a, you know, $3 million asset last year that you're taking off over 10 years and I took it off in one. So bam, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're a break even on your financial statement. I'm a couple hundred grand or better in taxable income. Well, one thing I left out when we had those three meetings and I even share this with the CBA and they could even do this if they want, cause you guys mm-hmm. got the software to do it, but we will put together a projected tax liability as of June mm-hmm. 30th, if the year came to right. an end. And then we look at what's been paid in, what needs to be funded so we know it's not perfect. And then I got a couple of clients sure. where we're using your tax uh, depreciation software. So mm-hmm. we know what mm-hmm. the depreciable uh, taxable, right. uh, what the tax depreciation is versus book. And so mm-hmm. we kind of got a rough idea. It's not perfect, but we're in the right. ballpark. I, well, and I, from when it comes to tax planning, I'm telling my staff here, it's, it's not perfection. Don't spend time getting it perfect. Now, when we get to the tax return, we really want that as close to perfect as we can get. Um, we're just trying to give you an idea. You're trying to get an idea of what, what to be prepared for. Because to your point, you know, we know we're upside down a hundred grand. We're going to need that cash. So you could start saving that and starting in June, if you had to, if you knew that was the bogey versus January 1st. I was going <laughs> to say the, the threshold for me, even for businesses with 10 million in, in revenue and under 25,000, that's, that's the rounded number to, to get. Cause anyone mm-hmm. can come up with 25 K um, obviously if you get to bigger, uh, even a hundred, that, that's a lot. So I, 25 K is about my, my number be within about 25 K give or take. I have a couple of yeah. questions about timing and these okay. are, I I'm probably the idiot asking the expert questions because you have, you have expense classification. Explain how important that is when it comes to timing issues, expense classification. So when we started the conversation earlier, you know, I, I took the, the track that it's deductible or it's not deductible until it is. And so, you know, to me where I'm heading with expense classification is a couple of different tracks. Number one is um, there are some things that are not deductible life insurance and things of that nature, you know, so we want to make sure we have those in the right account. Um, Up until 2017, 2018 tax law, you know, we had um, for some of our clients that did a lot of Christmas parties and staff meetings and things of that nature, um, they were just dumping those in meals entertainment. So, you know, meals entertainment, you only get half of it right. versus, you know, Christmas parties and that kind of stuff. You get all of it. So making sure that things are hitting the right bucket, um, you know, expense classification beyond that, you know, if it's, if it's an expense, it's expense. So for us on a tax return, it's not significant. We like for them to be in the right bucket because IRS scores those returns and that becomes one of the tools that they use as I understand um, how they pull for audit. You know, if you, if you have a company that's consistently 150% over the average of their industry for, you know, auto, let's say auto expenses, then they will say, well, you probably need to look at that. Well, then you go down to the next line on the return and it's repairs are higher than your peers. Um, you know, also you get enough red flags and that's how an audit typically gets pulled. There's a couple key areas that they look at 
that you're not in a range of normality. So making sure that things are in the right bucket makes a huge difference. The other thing that um, I had mentioned is cost segregation. What that means is, uh, and that's mostly related to the real estate world. So um, the architect firm I was just talking about, they just took delivery of a new strip center. So one of the things we're gonna do with them is we're gonna go through that strip center, we're gonna pull out the parking lot, we're gonna pull out the landscaping, we're gonna pull out you know, all those components that are available for bonus. And so, you know, they'll buy a building for, you say, a couple hundred thousand or a couple million, um, and we can take a big chunk of that off in year one. And, and, so, some, and some of those have different depreciable lives, right? Correct. That's correct. Yeah. So a building's not just a building. There's, you know, there's components that are, you know, seven years, five years. You know, good examples, um, carpet, wall coverings. Um, you know, in the cost segregation, some of those folks go super deep. You know, uh, we have a mutual friend who's got a large warehouse you know, that's got freezers on it. Well, that's all not building. That's going to be equipment. And all the things related to that are going to be equipment and not building. Um, you know, the, the, the lighting that's in the conference room, if it's not permanently attached, then it could be um, equipment, not building. Um, we ran into this a couple of years ago. One of our larger clients has a bunch of different uh, hospital or hotel, hotel buildings, and they were remodeling or, um, building and so there was a product called zip drywall because zip drywall um, wasn't permanent you could take it off and on fairly easily compared to the old drywall they were arguing that it was equipment and not a wall well i would too <laughs> oh absolutely you know so that's where you know the cost segregation really begins to reap some benefit because i can front load all my depreciation in the beginning um, versus the end and so, you know, the funnier thing is once I usually use that as an example, I parlay it to the, the dirty conversation about Trump's tax returns. I'm like, so here's a great example of why he doesn't pay any tax or showed a huge loss is he may have put zip drywall in his building, you know. And so you as the casual observer of a tax return, you don't see the underlying pieces of that puzzle. And I said, you you extrapolate that over how many different properties that he owns. Great point. You know, then all of a sudden, maybe there's a reason why there it's there. And if you don't have all the facts, you don't know the real case. Is it wrong? It's not wrong. Is it aggressive? Yeah. I mean, that's what the tax law is designed to do anyway. And so, understand that. But I said, here's the other thing that you don't that you don't know. What happens when he sells that hotel in ten years for double? Well, he's going to pay the tax. There's a day there. of reckoning. There is a day of reckoning. So, you know, I I kind of did that same thing with the Amazon. You know, they had been pushing out losses for all those years getting ramped up. Yeah, I didn't pay taxes because they got billions of dollars in losses. But, you know, post-COVID, they're going gangbusters and their profitability is probably off the charts. I haven't looked to see where they're at. But guess what's going to happen? That loss is going to get absorbed. And they're going to flip and start paying taxes. Quick, so, I was going to say, we could talk hours about cost segregation, but I do have two quick mm-hmm. questions. Okay. Where I get just thrown off and, and, and make fun of my question if you want to, but anything related to HVAC, well, is it, is it long write-off, short write-off? I, I know some tax preparers, tax partners, tax experts, they'd be a little bit more aggressive than others. Would you set me straight? 
a piece of air conditioning on top of a building, which can be unattached, mm-hmm. is it real estate or is it equipment? It under the <laughs> you're going to say you're going to say it depends. <laughs> no, I'm 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 going to vacillate in that I for the longest time wanted it separated and saying it is equipment, it's not building. But in my deeper research, it reverts back to it's part of the building. It is. And I would um, say the same thing for a boiler, uh, even though I yes, don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, garage doors was another one that I was trying to advocate short term, but it's not. It's more long term. Yeah. Like, well, like, you know, like, like we're going to take that with us when we sell the building, right? Right. Exactly. Well, and, you know, now I mentioned what Section 179, we did get a, a win in certain cases where even though HVAC is part of the building, it does qualify for section 179. So we can, in very limited instances, deduct it all right now. Um, But, you know, it's really part of the building. And where I got fine with that was if you think about it, um, well, here's how my brain kind of works. You know, um, years ago, I had to do research about repairs and maintenance before we had repairs and maintenance regulations. And I spent a lot of time reading through the FedEx case where FedEx and IRS went toe to toe and FedEx took the position that these motor, the engines on the jet aircraft were repairs and not um, capitalized on every time they redid the motor or redid the engine, the jet engine and IRS lost FedEx won. And what, what the key component and where I was triggered on as it relates to the HVAC question is that, the plane will not fly without a jet engine or jet engines if it's multi-engine aircraft. And so it came with a jet engine on it or two or three or four, depending upon the plane. So it was capitalized at the initial purchase. Any subsequent adjustments or repairs to those jet engines are repairs because the plane would not be worth a lot if the jet engines are not operational. Right. So, in my mind, that's where, even I did, though I didn't like the answer of the HVAC, that's kind of how I made it right with my head is like, okay, what's a comparable example? And that was kind of where my mind went. Of all the credits out there, and I know we're, we're bundling all businesses as though they're one big business, which is unfair because mm-hmm. restaurants right. are going to have their credits. I mean, you're going to have, you're probably going to have other types of businesses with their unique credits that are available mm-hmm. to them. What would be the one credit that you see over and over again, especially taking on a new client that they haven't even thought about? Maybe the other CPA had forgotten to bring this up or didn't have this awareness. Is there one that you say, wait a minute, we need to think about this particular credit. Is there one that just comes to mind quickly? Not really. Cause they're, they're so, they're so unique to each of those businesses. You know, um, one that I sent to you was research and development. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we, we've encountered, so I mentioned the architect firm earlier, ironically, they qualify for the R and D credit. Um, now it all hinges on their contract with their customer, but because they're constantly innovating every time they have to do another building, then their labor equates to the research and development process. Um, one of my larger clients manufactures um, specialty uh, marine-related products, marine, uh, boat docks. And because they have, even though they have a fairly streamlined manufacturing process, uh, 
every time they build another marina, they have to spec it out and have it designed um, to certain case. So they qualify for the research and development credit. So that one's probably the most universal, but it, it's going to be in, you know, in context of what that business does. You know, so one of my uh, clients, we did it for one year because they, um, they, they recycled antifreeze and we end up, the introduction of the DEF fluid in diesel totally messed up their business plan because they were, they were refining this antifreeze and it was coming out with an odor and they couldn't figure out where it came from. And they finally discovered, you know, the, the material that came in from the shops to be recycled. Well, these mechanics didn't know what to do with this DEF fluid. So they just, ah, oh, it's close enough to antifreeze. We'll just stick it in there. And so they had to come up with a bubbler system to, to percolate that sulfur out of the antifreeze. So that credit, we were able to use R&D for that process because they had to spend some time, resources, coming up with a system and a, and a mechanism to pull that uh, sulfur out. But it's, you know, it's going to be related to that. Otherwise, it's really specific to their industry. So disabled access credit was one that I listed. We see that a lot in uh, the medical arena. You know, optometrist and dentist, for example, an ADA-qualified wheelchair. Um, you can get a credit for the purchase of the wheelchair. Um, I threw the vehicle credit in there for the example I cited earlier with the electric car was one of those. Um, we've looked at solar. Um, our hotel client that I mentioned has done a ton of solar on his projects um, for the credit. You know, so they're, so it's going to be kind of related to that. And again, a lot of it depends on the business. So there's not a one size fits all credit, you know, and as I said earlier, you know, I have an eight and act to kind of understand what Congress does. And I've always been told and understood that really tax law is more behavioral than it is revenue. In many cases, you know, somebody has a pet project or they think they want to influence some type of behavior, then there's usually going to be some tax incentive built around that process or that behavior. The CFO controller, accounting manager, what can they be reading to stay up to date? Not like you, I mean, you do this for a living, but what can we be doing to stay apprised of, of, of anything tax related throughout the year without being overwhelmed? Yeah, I was, I had asked for a list from our, our partner here too, cause she does a lot of read, a lot more reading than I do. And I was going to um, see if I could find it, but what I typically work, there's like CPA trend lines that's for our industry is one. Um, Thomson Reuters um, research, um, they have some email lists we can get on. You know, to me, those are the probably the two that I look at the most. Um, you know, uh, ironically, iris.gov website has a lot of good information on it. It's almost all um, after the fact or, you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, they, they've got some um, email subscriptions you could sign up for and it gives you stuff. I've got two or three that come in daily. That's kind of my morning morning routine is turn on the email and go through and all these different resources that I've got. And so those all really help me understand, you know, Kipping the Letter does a good job as well. I was, I I was going to ask you about that. that. That's, I mean, yeah, you have to pay for it, but that's pretty good. Is you agree? They're one of the leaders in the industry, honestly. They've been a good thought leader. Um, so that would be one, you know, if you've got a little bit of a budget to spend, that would probably be one that I would recommend. Not terribly um, they, expensive, is it? Yeah, they boil it down pretty well. So those are going to be the ones. Um, trying to find the list. I can't remember what the other ones were. Um, I make sure those with you. As a, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get those on the show notes, Jeff. Uh, any any um, 
seminars, webinars that you'd say, yeah, to hit these two topics or one topic at least annually? Um, to me, the, the biggest change that we see in the, in the code are the credits type stuff and the depreciation. Those are the where we spend most of our time, it seems like, is talking about depreciation. Um, Since you are on CFO Bookshelf, do I get to ask you what are some of the books you've read that have meant a lot to you, business-related, can be non-business, uh, anything top of mind that you just think, oh, this is a great book. You and I both serve a, a client that is a, a big-time reader, and I don't know if he's rubbed mm-hmm. off on you or if you're already a reader. So what's on your bookshelf that you love? Well, it's funny because I spend all, all the everyday reading emails and stuff. So to me, my release is actually not to read. That, and that makes sense. It really you does. Know, and so, I, so to me, it's like, oh, you know, the, to – I think as I share with you in my email, really the one that I have read that was beneficial to me, it wasn't really business related, but it was more on a personal nature. And um, it was kind of interesting. It's called No More Mr. Nice Guy. And what it did is it, it, it looks at kind of our culture and how men function. And, you know, you know, we, we want to do the right thing, but sometimes we end up being, the wrong person to do doing the right thing. And we, you know, and so to me, that's, that's been a journey for me for about the last 10, 11 months is, you know, what makes me tick? Why, what am I doing correctly? What can I do better? And, you know, it, you know, you flip open kind of the little book and there's a good size of that nice guy personality and the bad size of the nice guy personality. And you're like, Holy cow. I see both sides. And, the bad sides aren't really that nice. You know? And so it, it was nice. It was kind of like, okay, you know, what are, what are those bad traits that you're doing? How can you make them better? And so that was one. Um, there's another one about, um, just went blank. It was uh, about difficult conversations was kind of the context. Mm-hmm. And we've been spending a lot of time that here. Um, conflict, it was a conflict resolution conversation. And so, you know, to me, it kind of fit into the, um, Mr. Nice Guy, you know, yeah, we can't say no. And so to me, that's, you know, CPAs, I think by nature, for the most part, especially the younger generation, you know, they want to, they want to take care of the customer and we're going to do some things. And sometimes we get, or we say too many yeses and not enough no's. And so to me, that, that really helped um, tip the scale Bef- in trying to make sure you do the right thing. Before I ask you, Jeff, before we wrap up and ask about your firm, I want to tee this up for you. I think you're going to like this. So if I were to line you up in a tax lineup with other tax partners, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say some other names, which may be sacrilegious, but let's say there's <laughs> there's you, Jeff, uh, there's a BKD partner, and I do like those guys over in Kansas mm-hmm. City. Uh, I know some uh, KPMG uh, tax partners and if I were to line you up with those guys, you're the same uh, in, in terms of knowledge, expertise, they don't have anything over you. And so I just want to make that very, very clear, just because you're part of a smaller practice in Springfield, right. Missouri, it's irrelevant. Plus you guys, I think you guys are in association with this large group mm-hmm. of CPA firms. So I, right. I, again, I want to tee that up as I ask you a little bit more about your firm before we wrap up. Well, the thing that that I would say that sets us apart is that, you know, with with the membership in a larger national firm, it it gives us the ability to have those high level 
conversations that we wouldn't otherwise have. But where where I do like the smaller firm is that we're allowed to do a lot of things. So let me back up. So I had a conversation with um, somebody earlier this week, and I said, you know, at our space, you know, we were think of a lake. Our lake is fairly shallow, but it's very wide. Or you can go to somebody like a BKD or a KPMG. They specialize more than their generalist. Right. So they may, may be able to hold the same amount of water, but it's way deeper. But because it's deeper, it's it's maybe more, it covers less space. And so as a small practitioner, we see a lot of different things. And so because we see a lot of different things, I think we have a deeper understanding of kind of general stuff. Um, but we may not necessarily understand the minutia of certain things because we haven't had to go deep. We didn't need to go deep. But for us, we like that backend resource because when we have to go deep, we have that call to a peer who's had the ability to go deep, you know. And so because of where we're at in Springfield, Missouri, we cover, um, you know, a lot of a lot of businesses from all over. I mean, Springfield's a unique town. We've got lots, lots of industry. It's got a lot of education. Um, a lot of tourism. So we saw a lot of different industries the because of that. The Springfield Cardinals. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, so, so we cover a lot of different things and, you know, so even though we may not be the big firm and see some of the deeper conversations or have the reason to go deep, we, we definitely can serve a, a wide range of clients because we are that shallow lake, you know, and we know when we need to go start digging in or dredging, we can find that person to dredge for us. Jeff, this has been great. Can we do this again? Sure. This has been fun. You are listening to CFO Bookshelf, lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandy. Jeff, as always, you are awesome. Thank you again. Again, Jeff Shore, tax partner and shareholder at Bush, Ramlow and Shore in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. Hey, for our last show of the year, we'll be talking about the top stories of the year by business journalists at CFO Dive. And that will be next week on CFO Bookshelf. (laughs) 